I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Athletic Hockey Show, the Wednesday Roundtable Edition. I am Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports, joined as always by Jesse Granger in Vegas, Mike Russo in Minnesota. How are you, boys? We're ten days away from the trade trade deadline, and I don't I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of itching for this thing to, to to get to to actually get to March third because we're talking so much about it. How are you? Well, I, I'm just hoping that we get to March third and that the only one. St- like not still on the board is like Lafferty or somebody. Yeah. You know, like it, it just doesn't it feel like everybody is now really trying to get a head start on, yeah. on March 3rd. And, and, um, you know, man, it's, it could be a boring, boring trade deadline if guys like Meyer and all those guys are off the board by then. Right. I was, I was thinking the same thing. It does seem a little earlier, like things are happening a little earlier than, than usual. I don't know. I'd say the last three to five years, maybe mm-hmm. even a little more, we're seeing, you know, GMs, we talked about with uh, Jim Nill last week. They don't want to wait till that last minute. The deal's yep. not necessarily going to get sweeter. And as we saw with the big trade that we're going to discuss <laughs> uh, in just a few minutes this week, sometimes it's just the logistics and the math that has to go into right. making a trade happen. You can't wait till 255 Eastern on, on March 3rd. So we're seeing GMs do what they do. The we're, we're going to go through a lot of that. And, you know, we talk a lot about GMs and, and scouts and everyone else and how busy they are. At this time of year, agents are very busy too. And we're going to speak to one of them in segment number two. Uh, ben Hankinson is going to come on and I, I just want to dive into what his next, you know, 10 days are going to be like and, and what is really his job description because agents do a lot. They wear a lot of hats. So we're going to speak to Ben, uh, in the second half of the show. Um, we'll talk about the guys still left on the list first, guys, and we'll, we'll get to the Ryan O'Reilly deal in a bit, but. Uh, Jesse, you mentioned Timo Meyer. 
some new developments over the last week since we last spoke, our own Pierre, Le- Pierre Lebrun uh, reporting. Um, now that the Blues have a bunch of picks because of that deal, they've reached out to the Sharks. Um, some other teams in the mix, the Jets, the Devils, the Hurricanes, and the Golden Knights. And that's why I want to start with you. What have you been hearing there? Anything that would lead you to believe that Timo Meyer might be coming to your neck of the woods? Yeah, the, I think, I mean, I think Meyer would be a great fit for Vegas in terms of just the player style. He does what the Golden Knights need the most, and that is getting to the front of the net, getting loose pucks, getting deflection screens. That's It's something that the Golden Knights have struggled with for years. Um, Pete DeBoer for years would say, we've got to get to the front of the net. He's pleading for his players to do it. Now you, you get a different coach, Bruce Cassidy. You say, okay, maybe a system will change it. Bruce Cassidy saying the exact same things. Whenever the Golden Knights aren't winning, that's usually the issue. So I think Timo Meyer would solve that. The problem is the Golden Knights are already like $20 million over the salary cap. I mean, <laughs> we're talking about like, I know these GMs do a lot of math wizardry, but I just don't see how it can possibly work. I mean, yes, they did just put Mark Stone on LTIR. So that does open up nine and a half million, which means Timo Meyer fits right now if they were to trade for him. But Mark Stone's coming back eventually. And Robin Leonard, who hasn't played this season and his salary hasn't counted, that $5 million is going to count. So you're going to go into the offseason. And, and you're, I don't think the Golden Knights would want to trade for Meyer as an RFA and, and then deal him like at the end of the season. I don't think, I don't see this as a, as a playoff rental. So I just, unless there's significant salary going back the other way, I just don't see how it could possibly work. I mean, I and I, I probably shouldn't say that with this team because they find ways to like every time the Golden Knights make a move, my entire Twitter, every reply is, does the salary cap not apply to this team? Like, did I miss the, <laughs> the part in the rules where so so maybe they can make it work? But like I said, I think on the ice, great fit, Timo Meyer. Um, I don't know if there's a team that Timo Meyer is a bad fit on. Um, he's a great player and he's one of the younger guys on on the market. Twenty six. I just don't the math, the math just I'm. Um, I'm not good enough at math to figure that one out. Yeah. And, and to your point, like one, you know, this is Mike Greer's first like huge trade. And I don't know if he's going to trade him inside the division right. unless he's getting an absolute premium. And I don't know how they can give up a premium if they can't resign him. So that's why when they put Mark Stone on LTI the other day, the first name that popped in my head was Patrick Kane. Um, you know, I don't know how you feel about that, Jesse, uh, because I don't know if Kane helps you from the get to the net standpoint, but he certainly helps you from being a puck wizard and superstar. And he's showing that more and more in the last uh, week that he is still the same uh, Patrick Kane. But to me, it's more of a rental type deal. The cost is not prohibitive. Everything we're hearing is it, you know, as much as I'm sure Chicago is going to want a first round pick, you can might even get him for a second or a second and a prospect because Patrick Kane, this is not going to be a bidding war with seven teams. Patrick Kane, like Pat Brisson is probably going to go to Chicago with a list of like one. And then if that one doesn't work, then maybe it's going to be up to Patrick Kane to pick another team. It's not going to be like seven teams going after him. Um, you know, but make a as decision much as already, seven teams though. might want him. We, we make a decision already. Stay or go, but make a damn decision. Doesn't this feel an awful lot like Claude Giroux last year with Pat Brisson too? And and if you remember, um, you know, Claude Lemieux Claude Giroux, when he essentially gave Philadelphia a list of one, really two, because Colorado was sort of in there, but it was really one. It really made it very difficult and and hamstrung, you know, Chuck Fletcher from maybe getting full market value on what a Claude Giroux really worked. And I think it's going to be the same thing here is, is you know, as the longer this goes, it becomes uh, to a point where a lot of pressure is going to be on Chicago because if Kane eventually says, yeah, I'll go, but it's got to be the, this team, you know, now, you know, that team's got all the leverage in the world. 
So most of the players are still where they were when we last spoke. Uh, Chikrin, of course, <laughs> the longest player ever on, uh, on a trade block. Cat Patrick Kane is there. But one name that popped up, Elliot Friedman reporting this, and, and I remember, do you ever hear a report or see something and you go, well, I must have heard that wrong. Teams are calling Vancouver on JT Miller. And I remember thinking, this is the same JT Miller who just signed a massive extension in September uh, that's going to kick in after this season. Am I the only one who thinks maybe because it's Vancouver, we just can't be surprised anymore after what we've seen all year? But JT Miller is now people are kicking the tires on him. Russo, what do you think? Well, I mean, it's sort of what I said. And every time I say anything about Vancouver, it becomes wildfire there and becomes like the lead of blogs and I get like 16 radio stations calling me. But it's like I said on a podcast a month ago, I, I bet you they have buyer's remorse on that on that contract. You know, I mean, look, I mean, JT Miller is a lightning bolt there. And and if you really want to um, if you really want to uh, build your team around Elias Pedersen, which I bet they do. Um, they might have jumped the gun on that contract, so it wouldn't shock me at at all that maybe they're stri- starting to throw little little uh, hints out there to other teams that like, hey, we would consider moving him. I just don't know it now at that contract if he's movable. I mean, uh, we've seen stranger things happen. I mean, you know, I, I guess if you you know pulled a Max Patch ready and traded him for for futures, I guess he can move him. Maybe if somebody could take that type of contract. Um, but I just, um, it, it doesn't shock me. And, and the other thing I'll say is, you know, Elliot Friedman doesn't throw stuff out there for shits and giggles. I mean, he is, when he, when he tweets or writes or reports something, you can pretty much say that it's a hundred percent true. So I don't, uh, doubt for one second, the validity of the report. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is teams initiating it to Vancouver saying, Hey, maybe, maybe we think they might have buyer's remorse on this. Let's see what they think. Or if this is Vancouver reaching out to teams, but I'll say this, if it's, if it's Vancouver reaching out to teams, if I'm a GM and a team just signed a guy to this massive contract and then is asking me if I want to trade for him before that contract, even I don't even Starts. need to look at the player. <laughs> Absolutely not. I want nothing to do with this player. I don't even need to know what his name is. Yeah. I don't need to know his stats. If you just signed a player to a massive deal and then you're looking to trade him before the deal kicks in, something is wrong there. I don't want that player. <laughs> yeah. like, and according according no to Freach, it, it is a matter of teams are calling. And he, he kind of said to not necessarily something is going to happen, but that name keeps getting brought up. And and like Russo said, if Free just saying it, Free told me the the blue line was orange, I'd believe him. But I just I just thought that was just a weird just a weird twist to this NHL trade deadline. One more thing before we get to O'Reilly, we talked about this last week: Chikrin and Gavrikov sitting out with the new trade related reasons thing and haven't played in more than a week. Now we're seeing Luke Shen in Vancouver, Travis Sandheim in Philadelphia joining them in the press box. Trade related reasons. It used to be, guys, if someone is suddenly in the press box, a trade is going to happen that night, even within right. the next, you know, couple hours. That's not the Tyler case Mott. here. Yeah. And I mean, maybe we'll, we'll talk to, we'll talk to Ben about this in the second half, but I don't know how much I like this, this trend. I get it. It's like you don't want to put the red glass of wine on a white carpet, but now we got players sitting out for, for weeks on end. The length of it is ridiculous. I like you say you don't like I absolutely hate it. I think it's ridiculous. I think 
Also, if you're a team trading for one of these guys, do you want a guy that's been sitting out for three weeks? Yeah, not only 100%. from a not only from a player like a, a performance standpoint, how good is this guy going to be? He's going to have to get back. It's almost like he's back in training camp. But also, are we making them more injury prone because they haven't played in three weeks and suddenly we're going to throw them into NHL action and the guys got to perform on this new team that just traded all these picks for him? I just don't like any of it. I and I totally understand why the GM would do it. They don't give a crap how he performs on the next team. They want to get their return for him, but I don't like it. And I, I don't know if there's a way you can like the NHL can like this off season, the GM meeting say no more of that. Like they can just make up an injury. It's like the NBA that, well, he's got something wrong with his ankle. He's not playing tonight when we all know that that's not actually why they're sitting out. I don't know if there's anything they can do, but I hate it. Yeah, I agree with you on, um, you know, the jams meetings. I'll be down there March 12th to the 15th, and I bet you this will be a topic there. But as you just said, Jesse, I don't know how the league could legislate against this. I mean, you have the right to sit down any player that you're paying, and and so technically you're allowed. So I don't know um, the NHLPA if they can get involved here and what you could what what could be done about this situation. But this is this is long. I mean, it used to be immediately if you're pulled from the lineup, you know that trade's happening pretty imminently. That's uh, and we'll talk to Ben Hankinson about Luke Shen and whether or not he thinks that's a sign here that maybe Luke is going to be traded any day, or if this is another one of those protecting the assets until. Um, you know, March 3rd, um, I, we had Jeff Chicken on the uh, podcast around the All-Star game and, uh, you know, J- Jacob's uh, dad. And, you know, uh, when when he was full, first pulled through the lineup uh, the, a couple of weeks ago now, um, I texted Jeff and Jeff actually flew to Nashville and hung out with his son for a couple of days in Nashville just to kind of keep his mind off of it. Um, the one thing that I think with Jacob Chicken that might be a little different than, say, a Gavrikov is that I do think that Jacob Chicken, who has had injuries in the past, did suffer a little tweak and was, um, you know, a little hampered. So even though they pulled him for trade related reasons, I think there was a scare there from both sides because Jacob Chikrin does want to get uh, traded um, to like, hey, let's let's pull back here and make sure he's okay. Because I thought it was also weird that he wasn't practicing with the team. And that that seemed atypical in these type of situations. At least Gavrikov's been practicing with the Blue Jackets, traveling with them and things like that. Chikrin was not practicing, then skating on his own. Now he's back at practice, which I think lends some validity to the, to the belief that maybe he had a little tweak and that that's one reason why they pulled him from the lineup. But if they don't Move them by March 3rd. That's going to be super awkward if all, all of a sudden, you know, you pulled them out for trade related reasons for a month and then you couldn't trade them. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I mean, I hate to sound like, you know, the, the, the angry mob, but some kid whose dad got him tickets, you know, to see his favorite player, you, you're, you could afford to go to one game a year and he's sitting up because of trade related reasons. And also, let's not forget at this time of the year, it's always the UFAs that are getting moved. If they're on the cusp of some sort of you know, season milestone that would get them more money on that extension wherever they end up going or if they, as a free agent, you know, and they, they finish with 49 goals, they finish with 99 points. I don't think the NHLPA is going to like that either. So we'll see if that's a trend. I'm with you guys. I'm not a fan of it. Um, one big name did get moved. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly is now a Toronto Maple Leaf. Two things I want to talk to you about. The first one is what we do every single time. There's a big trade. Talk to me about the, the the fine points of this deal and whether you like it or not. Basically, I'm not going to go through every single thing, but the Blues stocked up on picks. Uh, they're going to retain half his salary. Minnesota's picking up 25% of it. And uh, Ryan O'Reilly and Olachari are now Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Russo, I know you were dealing with this. I was reading your tweets. Tell us what you think. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously a great trade for Toronto, right? I mean, they get not only uh, not only ROR, but as you just mentioned, Achari and, and Elliot Friedman. I had him on my radio show here in Minnesota the other day on The Fan, and uh, he said that he thinks they try to get Barbashev, too, in the deal. And, uh, you know, the reason why they probably didn't go that route is then it would have probably st- started kept- – you know, cost them maybe a player off their roster or probably a prospect or things like that. And it just got too hefty for them. Um, but yo, know, Ryan O'Reilly goes there in his second game. He gets uh, two goals on back-to-back shifts and a, and a hat trick. Uh, obviously uh, a hell of a trade for Toronto. And I think it's going to help them uh, down the stretch here. Um, we're seeing Tavares play the wing. Um, you know, not only does St. Louis get a haul, now it gives them maybe assets to go out and try to get a team of Meyer and do the rebuild very, very quickly. Um, and the other thing is I wouldn't put it past uh, Toronto, uh, St. Louis to try to get Ryan O'Reilly back in the offseason. Um, you know, they did offer him a contract extension. It obviously went nowhere. And so I do think that they would try to bring him back. And can you imagine they got all those assets and you're getting Ryan O'Reilly back? That'd be unbelievable. Um, from Minnesota's perspective, they have a ton of cap space right now, like a ton. They could still technically add $12.9 million worth of players at the deadline. They've been accruing space all year long. Um, they were incredibly healthy. They just made their first call up the other day for the first time since Christmas. Um, so that's one re- way they've been able to accrue space. And so for them to sell, um, you know, a little bit of cap space, um, and only $74,000 in salary for a fourth round pick. It made sense to them because it also moved Ryan O'Reilly right out of the conference where they were starting to worry that teams of cap space, they didn't know, but teams of cap space like Winnipeg or LA or maybe Colorado or Dallas would try to trade for Ryan O'Reilly. So they tried to boot him right out of the conference. Yeah, I agree with everything Michael said. I think it's a great trade for Toronto. I think they did pay a lot for a few months of Ryan O'Reilly, but Big time. When, when you have to filter them, when, when when one team, not only are you acquiring the player, you're having one team retain and then you're sending it to another team, like that's expensive. It, that's the cost of business. The question is, how does he fit? And like this, this is what we're asking ourselves before he scores a hat trick. <laughs> yeah, the fit look, the fit looks pretty good. I mean, you don't want to overreact to one game, but the fit looks pretty good. This is a player who has not looked himself all season. Like the Golden Knights fans were all asking about Ryan O'Reilly, and my answer was always like. I don't think so. Like, that's a player that is clearly on the downturn. And this season has been a massive step back for him in terms of not only his offensive production, but what he's been known for, how good he is as a 200 foot player. His defensive metrics are have plummeted across the board. Now, you ask yourself, can a change of scenery get him back to playing like the player? Now, through a couple games in Toronto, it looks like it has. We'll see. But if they get even 75% of what Ryan O'Reilly could can be and has been as a 200-foot player, you got to think that that's a great fit for a Toronto team that's got all the offensive talent. They can score the puck as good as anyone in the league. They've got so much speed and skill to add a gritty 200-foot player that can play in your middle six and has done it before. This is a team that hasn't done it since I was alive. They they Since any of us are alive, yeah. they they to get a player that has done it as a main piece in a Stanley Cup champion. I think I think he he ticks all the boxes for Toronto, assuming you can get somewhat close to to what a player he's he's been. And they've they've left themselves uh and they left themselves a little cap space to maybe still go out and get a defenseman, which I think was the big reason for all those salary retention. And you guys both alluded to this. I love Shelton Keefe's I'm gonna call it creativity. I if if you had told me that John Tavares would be a second line winger because Ryan O'Reilly <laughs> became a leaf, I'd say you 
you're smoking something and pass it over. But it just, you know, I watched that game against Buffalo. Now, obviously, he had a little bit of motivation playing against, you know, Buffalo as well. But putting him at center, Tavares on the wing, and suddenly he gets his first three goals as a Toronto Maple Leaf with an assist. I mean, you've got uh, Marner with a goal, uh, Marner with five assists, Tavares with a goal and three assists, 13 points from one line. As Jesse said, it's one one really good game and one pretty good game, but we'll have to wait and see. I obviously just slated him in as a third-line center just to be that Ryan O'Reilly type guy. Um, <laughs> clearly, that's not it. Time will tell, but we'll see with these Leafs because Jesse just tried alluding to the fact that I had seen uh, the Leafs win their last cup, but no, none of us were alive in 19. So actually, Russo, I don't know if we want to age you. <laughs> I was not alive in 1967. <laughs> Trust me. I just wanted to needle um, you there. I feel like I was alive in 1967 someday, some mornings when I got out of bed. <laughs> when you got to talk to us, right? Uh, a few more things before we go to break, guys. Uh, we've got an agent coming on in the second half, but another agent made news and shocker, shocker, Alan Walsh. Um, not much going right in Calgary right now. They're on the outside looking in as far as a wild card spot goes in the West. And after their loss to the Red Wings... Uh, he sends out this tweet. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Also, negativity sucks the joy out of the players. And then he even put CC Calgary Flames. So just to recap here, guys, you got rumors that Huberdo and Sutter don't get along. The team is losing. And now his agent is basically calling the coach insane. Uh, your thoughts on this one, Jesse, we'll start with you. Yeah, I don't know what it's like to cover a team when <laughs> Alan Walsh sends out a tweet that's anti the coach. I you can't know what? I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I completely forgot about the flurry thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can't. Oh, yes. Jesse, we must start with you here. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I just, I guess Alan Walsh's like Photoshop budget was, was he, he spent it all on the last one because yeah. there was no sword with uh, Daryl Sutter's name on <laughs> into the blade. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, Alan Walsh defends his clients like no other. There is no agent in in the world of any sport that defends their clients like Alan Walsh does. Uh, the players love it. I don't know how how well it's going to work out for the Calgary Flames. Um, it obviously stirred the pot here in Vegas, um, but the play while the player said I don't I had no idea about it. I have a hard time believing a pl an agent would send something that inflammatory 100%. out without at least running the idea by the player first. Yeah, I, it's a hundred. I mean, you know, I, I would love to get him. You know, when we talk to Ben Hankinson, let's get his thoughts on it, because Ben, you know, first of all, Alan Walsh and Ben Hankinson are affiliated. They're the same agency, Octagon. Um, you know, uh, about a month, month and a half ago, um, it was an innocuous tweet that that um, Ben Hankinson sent about Luke Shen, but it absolutely caught fire in in um, in Vancouver, and he had to come on Twitter a second time and basically say, "No, I'm not trying to get him traded." Um, but it, it kind of read that way. Um, but that you know that that's the way I feel about um, Alan is that, like I think there's no way he doesn't talk to Flurry at first about that. He's no way he doesn't talk about Huberto. Um, you know, Alan's a lawyer. He's uh, he's a very very smart man. Everything's you know thought out. There's no way he just did that. Um, no matter what Huberto says, um, he takes the brunt of that from. Uh, you know, he's willing to basically put his neck on the line for his clients um, at all times. And before Twitter really existed, before Alan was on Twitter, um, I covered a couple of big Alan Walsh clients here in Minnesota. And uh, but what was really fun for me is that because Twitter really didn't existed, he just 
you know, did stories with me basically going after Todd Richards about um, his treatment of Martin Havlad and eventually Peter Sikora as well. So that was actually fun because that was like old school where like the actual you put out a big article that blows up with the agent going off on the team rather than just a tweet with a sword uh, through the coach. Like they used to do in 1967. Is that what you're saying? There yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, <laughs> but trust me, I mean, you know, yeah. Um, this one was in terms of Alan Walsh uh, tweets. This one was, uh, you almost had to like, because there was no Photoshop, as Jesse said, you almost had to really interpret what he was saying, you know, <laughs> Alan Walsh, just throwing those bombs, those grenades in there and just seeing what, what, what happens. One more thing before we go to break guys, uh, another day, another Connor McDavid milestone, 800 points. Uh, and on the same goal, Drysaddle picks up his career number 700. Um, so with McDavid, fifth fastest to ever get to 800 behind Wayne, Mario, Bossy, and Stastny. And the fifth youngest, as far as calendar wise goes, behind Wayne, Mario, Dale Howarchuk, Steve Eiserman. Is there anything this guy can't do besides maybe win a Stanley Cup? Uh, Jesse's our Jesse's our resident uh, gambling expert, but I, that's what I like right now for the Hart Trophy. Jesse, do you have to? I bet you have to put like a thousand dollars down to win a dollar for for Connor McDavid. Uh, I can look that up in like ten seconds, but it's it's he is a massive massive favorite. Uh, there's no award out there right now that that you can bet on that's anywhere close to how big of a favorite he is. Um, but like Rob said, if there's something. Is, is there anything you can't do? It's like, yes, win. That's it's we're going to look back <laughs> t- 10 years from now. And like, where are they right now? We're talking about how great Drysaddle and McDavid are. Where are they? Where are they in the standings? They're like barely clinging to a wild card spot. Like, what is going on up there? You've got two of the best players of this entire generation and they can't like it's so frustrating. They are wasting this incredible talent, not just McDavid, but Drysaddle too. Um, you want to see this team go on deep runs. I feel like. For as great as all these stats are, I feel like we're going to look back on this years from now and say, like, how did they not win anything? Yeah. I think this is also the time of the year you talk about the Hart Trophy, where guys like you, you writers, start making cases for other people because we're so used to seeing him just do this year in and year out. I, you know, you, they call it voter fatigue. Like, he's raised the bar so much that we're not as impressed. So we're almost looking for someone else to be considered a heart trophy candidate, but to give the heart trophy to anyone, but Connor McDavid would be asinine in my opinion. That's just, so here are the odds here. Here are the odds right now on bed. MGM David Pasternak is second. He's the second best odds and he's, he's plus 1600. So if if you put a hundred, yeah, yeah, 16 to one, if you put a hundred bucks on it, you'd win $1,600. Connor McDavid, if you were to put a hundred bucks on him, you would win ten dollars. <laughs> ten dollars. A hundred dollar bet wins ten dollars on Connor McDavid to win the heart. So get those bets in. <laughs> so I was I was close. If you put a thousand down, you win ten a uh, hundred bucks. So yes, I mean, that's exactly it is, right. It's, yeah. it, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> um, um, I, I I mean the guy is unreal. Um, uh, but to Rob's point. I'm going to really do a lot of digging for that heart trophy. I'm Tage Thompson if they get close or yeah. Dylan Larkin if they get close. You know. He has single-handedly willed his team into a playoff spot, so I think he overtakes McDavid. That's We hear that all all every year at this time of the year well, when you got a player. You, you know what, what I think actually is going to be the most fascinating award, and we'll obviously talk about awards a lot on the show in the, in the weeks to come, but uh, is Jack Adams. I mean, right now, like, could you imagine if Detroit makes the playoffs? You know, like, like you know, like... I, it's just, I don't know. There's just, 
there's just so many options for a lot of these awards. Norris is another fascinating one, right? Carlson, uh, Josh Norrissey, uh, you know, Deline. I mean, there, there's some really good defensemen out this out there this year. See what I mean? Writers jumping the gun on awards. After the break, we're going to speak to NHL player agent Ben Hankinson about everything trade deadline and just the life of an agent. So don't go anywhere. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, guys, as we mentioned, I don't know, 200 times in the first segment, we're 10 days away from the NHL trade deadline. Um, <laughs> and, you know, all we kind of see a lot of times is, is the final deal. But there, there's so many wor- working parts and moving parts and very, very busy people. We know GMs are busy. Their, their staff busy. Scouts are busy. But I want to know how busy a player agent is because they are in there as well. And you know what? No better time than now to find out. Ben Hankinson, uh, player agent, joining us on the Athletic Hockey Show. Thanks for doing this, Ben. How are you? I'm doing fabulous. Thanks for having me, you guys. So I, I assume free agency is probably your busiest time of the year. The draft has got to be up there as well. But these two weeks now leading up to uh, to trade deadline day, just how much time of the 24 hours in a day are you spending on your phone? That's a, that's a great question. I'd say definitely most, most of the time. I, I don't know what I've done with my days up until this point. It's crazy. Because it's it's it seems like it's dedicated completely to the few guys that are on the board that could potentially get traded. And I at the end of the day, I, I, I it's tough to track like what I've accomplished because it's like I don't feel like it's much. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I've talked to maybe six or seven, eight, you know, GMs during that day too. And and that's actually the hidden gem in all this. I forget um, you know, that my business is about you know, having relationships and communicating with, with hockey people and obviously my clients, but it's a great time of year to remind me that talking to these GMs is, is pretty, uh, I hate to say it, but a fun part of my job too. Uh, so Ben, let's, uh, let's sort of not bury the lead. Um, you know, yesterday, uh, we get word that, that Luke Shen's been sent back to Vancouver and, uh, for trade related reasons. When did you get word from, uh, Patrick Alvin or Jim Rutherford or Luke that this was going to happen? And, and where's the latest on this in terms of, in terms of potential imminency that this, that he might be traded? Um, so yesterday, uh, actually, it was the night before Luke Shen traveled with the team from Vancouver, a long flight to Nashville. And <laughs> he had uh, his ex-teammate, who's a client of mine, Ryan McDonough, marinating on his Traeger grill some tomahawk steaks. 
So those guys, I did actually started a group text with, with them because they're old teammates and they were cooking a steak and they were eating. And, and so he goes there, has dinner. And the next morning, I find out that uh, he's not in the top two pairings or not on the board uh, for the for the game that night. So I call Patrick, uh, the GM, and he says, no, we're protecting them because we have this or that or the other thing going on. And you got to remember, he's probably not telling me everything, but I'm helping him behind the scenes. So I want to know what's going on too, because I'm out there like a little shepherd in the field, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, herding, herding, herding everything and, and kind of stirring it up for him at the same time, sort of working together. Obviously, I don't want to overplay my part in this, but um, so I know what's going on as well. But uh, then he he wanted to be safe. You know, he wanted to be, um, as you can see with some other guys, Chikrin and, and some other guys around the league. And it's no fun. Uh, Luke wants to play. So he wants to play last night. He wants to play tomorrow. And they told him he's not going to play. And his wife is extremely pregnant, uh, due any day with their third. So he they flew him home. So he flew to Nashville, had a steak dinner with Ryan McDonough, and then, <laughs> and then flew home. And now the team is in St. Louis. So I just found out yesterday morning, Luke didn't really even know when I called him, I talked to Patrick and he went and talked to Tockett. And, you know, it's just a decision that they, once everyone finds out that Luke isn't playing, then word spreads fast. And then my phone blows up because everyone thinks there's a deal already in place, which there isn't, but it's, it's getting closer, obviously with the, you know, like you guys said with the trade deadline, you know, nine, 10 days away. Um, you know, it's part of the precaution that that they make. So it's not done yet, but hopefully inching that way. And you you kind of answered it a little bit, but I, I'd like to go a little deeper into it. It's we we talked about it earlier. It's such a trend that players are getting held out. Um, this is nothing new, but longer than usual. Um, there are players that haven't played in weeks. And and you mentioned Luke wants to play. Do you think that the, that there's a concern amongst players that anyone who can possibly be traded is now not playing for a considerable amount of time going into the deadline? Yeah, a little bit. I don't like it, uh, to be honest, either. I understand it and I respect it. And it takes one injury and it could, it could, you know, blow a trade, obviously. But yeah, I mean, he, he, he understands it too. And he is home. You know, if he's not going to play, then what's the point of, of being on the road and, 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 you know, he's practiced as soon as there's teammates, I guess, but not really because they're not practicing. They get in after a game last night. So he's just actually probably doing more. Like Luke said, I, I'll skate back in Vancouver and the teams will have a, a morning skate tomorrow in St. Louis. And that's, you know, not much of a skate, but it, it's no fun for him. Like he, he yes, I, he, he does understand it, but, um, you know, he's he wants to play games. He wants to be ready because if and when he gets traded, you know, it's better if he's playing and his timing is down and, and you know, he plays a physical game. He doesn't play 25 minutes a night. He'll play, you know, 18 minutes a night or whatever it is, but he's always hitting and he's got to have his timing and his feel and his decision making down too. So, you know, he wants to, he's creeping up to a thousand games and don't think players don't look at that either. Like that's a huge milestone for a player to get a thousand games. He's in the low 900s right now. He leads the NHL in hits. So I know he's tracking that as well. Um, he doesn't say it. So it's not like he's selfish about his own <laughs> stats or anything, but these guys, you know, they, they have little goals to accomplish big goals. They do. And that big goal is, you know, big extension a lot of times with the UFA and sitting out's not helping their stats in any way, shape or form. 
but Ben, I want to ask you about no movement clauses and modified no movement clauses because especially at this time of year, we hear it all the time. You know, Patrick Kane's a perfect example of, you know, well, he's got to provide us with the teams. Walk us through that process. When, when, a, when a GM says, he calls you and says, Ben, you know, we've, we want to move this player, but he's got a, a no movement clause. Walk me through the process of not only talking to the GM, but how you and the player kind of break down, say it's five teams, 10 teams, whatever it may be. Is that a tough process? Yes, it is because it, 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 you kind of can start bridging the business versus human element of it. And I talked to Michael about this with Ryan McDonough, and that's a perfect segue into kind of the understanding the one-on-one of the hockey, no move or no trades. Cause Ryan McDonough had a no trade and there's also a no move. And then there's a modified no trade, but a no move means you can't go on waivers either. And you think, well, what does that have to do with it? And it, it really shouldn't because you're talking about an NHL player that obviously someone wants, so they would never go on waivers, right? But Ryan McDonough last year in the summer, after they made a run and won a couple cups, uh, the Tampa Bay GM, Julian Breesbaugh, came to Ryan and us and said, you know, we got to move him. But he had a full, you know, no trade, not a no move, so a no trade. And so... Uh, we had a little bit of control working with him where he could go, but at the end of it, uh, he wanted to make a fast move and he wanted to uh, kind of free up money to sign a couple other players. So he wanted to do it within a day or two. And all of a sudden he threatened to put him on waivers, meaning someone else could pick him up for nothing. And that's basically what happened because uh, he was making, he's, he's older now and he's got a, a few more years on his contract. And he's still a huge part of any team, the Nashville Predators now. But there's a, a couple of years when he gets into his mid-30s that teams you know, aren't as excited about his contract probably. And I still think he'll bring value, but that's a whole other point. So the no, the no trade turned into a, well, a threat. Well, we'll put him on waivers. And then potentially for Ryan, that's not that exciting because now you go to the worst team in the league. And, you know, probably a veteran that's won cups doesn't want to play for the worst team in the league. So he all of a sudden turned that into a little bit of leverage for him where we ended up uh, working on a trade before he went on waivers. So those no trade, no moves. Usually, you know, a lot of times it's a modified no trade where there's maybe maybe eight teams, maybe four teams, maybe 16 teams. And I probably have seven or eight guys that have those modified no trades and you, you send a list to the uh, to the GM on a certain date. And usually it's around free agency because there's also a lot of trades. You said the busy times are our trade deadline, free agency, the draft. And at the draft, you know, there's generally trades because there's picks involved and that's like when everyone's together. And then right before free agency is a great time for trade. So that's when the no trade lists are due. So you turn it in and you go through, you know, the teams and, you know, depending on sometimes you put it together, blocking certain teams too. like a lot of times uh, North American players. And I hate to say this, we'll put Canadian cities on there um, and it's usually the same teams, but then always the, the lowly like Arizona Coyotes. Um, and, and if you, a lot of times, you know, those teams aren't on the no trade because, you know, like they're not a target for like a, a, a cane, you know, he's not getting traded to Arizona. Because you know he's a rental, and they're they're obviously out of the playoffs. So um, that's a long-winded answer, but but you know they are protection for the players. But at the same time, you know if if the team goes to the fans and it gets out that they want to trade him, and the team rejects the trade, that puts a lot of pressure on that that player as well because they don't want to disappoint 
you know, so to say the, the fan base and, and they feel like, okay, you're blocking our organization from bettering ourselves too. So it's a, it's a tricky situation. And, you know, I mean, one player I've learned since uh, one team that I've learned since that you that you basically were working behind the scenes with um, to try to get Ryan McDonough to was Minnesota and Bill Guerin couldn't make it work, uh, Ben. And and that brings me to another one of your clients. I mean, I think, you know, we've all seen all the rumors about Brock Besser and the potential that he could be traded. He has two years left at six, six, five. I think that Besser, you, you, you know, you, you know, as well as I do, what kind of relationship I have with him. He's a special kid uh, with coming from a special family. And I think he would love to come back here with Minnesota. I think the wild love him. But right now, their cap situation kind of inhibits that ability. Where do you see that going? And, and do you think there's ever that point that we could see Brock Besser in a Minnesota Wild uniform? Yeah, that's a that's a great analogy. And, and it is the truth with his contract. They, they have cap room this year. It's not the problem. The problem is uh, the following two years. And Brock has two more years on his contract. So they're trying to move some things around potentially. And more importantly, they're maybe, you know, are they on the inside? They they obviously had a big win last night. And there's 82 games. You don't think one win would be so important. But where are they sitting? Does Billy want to add? Um, or could he, you know, be potentially a seller? But where does Brock Besser fit in? I think he fits in perfectly, you know, on a top six scoring wing, probably playing with Bowlby. But, you know, there's other pieces in play. There's rumors that, you know, Greenway could be gone. Obviously, the whole the Dumba rumors and Addison been scratched a little bit, too. So there's a ton of play with, with Billy. And even going back to Ryan McDonough, he's always trying to figure out, you know, how to fit guys in. You know, Ryan McDonough didn't fit. Billy tried. He tried and he would have had to move probably a defenseman. He definitely didn't want to move to make room for Ryan McDonough. Ryan McDonough is a big uh, shot blocking, uh, plays heavy, you know, defenseman that plays a lot of minutes that I think would have worked perfectly with the Minnesota Wild. If he was right-handed, it'd even be more perfect. But um, so he's always looking at every scenario to get, you know, whether it's a center or a winger or Brock Best or specifically, he's 25 years old. He can score. He's not scoring at a great rate this year. He's putting up a lot of points. But I think he'd be a great fit. Um, there'd have to be a lot of salary retained by Vancouver. And I don't think that's something they're too excited to do because they just signed Brock Besser and Billy would have to have them eat, you know, a big, big chunk of that uh, 6.65 to fit him in uh, next year and the year after, because that's when the cap gets really tight uh, for the wild. And you mentioned you're talking to a lot of people, you're talking to GMs, you're talking to your clients. I'm curious, I was talking to a few of the, the Golden Knights players here in Vegas about the trade deadline and, and all the stuff they hear and all the rumors about what trades. I'm curious, how different of a communication style do you have with certain players? Like, are there certain guys who want to hear everything? Hey, anything you hear about where I could be moved, I want to know. And then there are some guys that are like, I want nothing to do with it. Tell me when the trade is done. Right. Yeah, that's a great example. Dustin Bufflin was that way with his contract. He just said, tell me when it's done. The years, the dollars, <laughs> everything. You just tell me. Um, and 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 yeah, it like we have Luke Shen, whose wife is pregnant. Uh, that's a the whole different dynamic. What happens when he's traded and his wife can't travel technically? Um, you know, does he get traded to Calgary? Does he get traded to Boston or wherever in between? And that's a lot of logistics. Does he move away from home and and uh and, and and leave the kids. But the also the question is that they want to know these players, okay, you know, if Luke Shen gets traded, uh, is there a contract, you know, a, 
added to that. Is he a rental or does he does he get traded and signed? So we got to be ready and communication has to be strong with Luke, like what his value could be if he resigns or does he move everything and potentially resign with Vancouver and come back? So there's moving trucks involved and there's a lot of logistics with with, you know, potentially private flights for a wife that's pregnant that she probably has a few days still to travel. And we tried to push that to happen sooner. And I think Vancouver wanted to make a decision with Luke sooner. So we were communicating a lot on that, but they just couldn't pull it, pull it together because the market, you know, is what dictates it. And, you know, they're running a business too. So, um, yeah, I think Luke, I, I talked to a few times a day and Brock, I was, uh, you know, texting with him after the game last night. Uh, and I was telling him certain things that he should do because certain teams are watching, need him in a certain role. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> uh, in that regard. Uh, you know, kind of poking him a little bit with uh, make sure you do this or do that because this guy's watching. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, guys, that's what I love about Hank, by the way. I mean, like he gives tough love to his clients. I mean, man, there were a couple times where you, you, you had it out with guys like Bukestead here in Minnesota. Like he needs to, you need to play this way if you want to prolong your career. Yeah, that's that's the uh, fun and the hard part is I played, so I knew what I never did to get to this level. Um, <laughs> so I can I can tell these guys, hey, don't watch me, just listen to me. I'll tell you. <laughs> but um, yeah, like Brock will say, I'm I feel like I'm playing the best hockey, and, and Brock Besser, and, and uh, you know, and, and and considering the situation they're in, who he's playing with the. The culture in Vancouver isn't great right now. They're losing players left and right. Now Luke's out of the lineup. So, um, you know, but it's 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 results. Like, Brock, you're paid to score. You got to go score. And he's like, but I'm playing great. And you can't control the puck going to the net. But you sure can control, you know, shooting the puck and, 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 and digging. And what's your B game? If you're not scoring, you know, you better be doing something else. And that's where... You know, he's got to, you know, battle and compete and, and, and be a, be a, you know, on a, on a playoff team, your role is going to be a little different. If you win a cup, you're, you're not going to be, you know, the first guy in the half wall, maybe on the power play. You're going to be, you know, maybe sitting on the bench even, you know, and he's a power play guy. And, and yeah, there's a lot of layers to it. But, but Michael, to your point, yes, I, I, it's like parenting, <laughs> right? Sometimes you got to give them a little kick in the ass. And other times you got to hug them and tell them, even though they know you're lying to them, how good they're playing. <laughs> <laughs> then, how much is the role, publicly at least, of the agent changed? Because, you know, I remember growing up, I couldn't tell you every player's agent. And I know I'm in the media now, so it's a little different. But, you know, the first segment we talked about, Alan Walsh sends out a tweet about Calgary. Everything goes nuts. You're talking to us on the show now. The role of the agent seems to be so much more public now. And I know it's your job to pump the tires of your players. But is there a line that you, you're you careful not to cross where it looks as though you're the celebrity and the player isn't, or is it just a matter of this is now part of my job? I've got to put my player on a pedestal. Yeah. And it, it kind of depends on your client and what his personality is. I think a lot of times like Alan Walsh sends out that tweet and it, 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 it it's approved, you know, or there's been a lot of conversations coming from the player. And I'm not saying, you know, with Alan that, uh, you know, the player always knows, but I think, I think it's, it's, it's something that's done together to figure out, you know, how to better the situation. And, and unfortunately, sometimes it is to blow it up. But, you know, I'm a, I'm everyone has a different uh, personality and style. And I'm I'm more kind of behind the scenes in that regard. I hate 
and, and some people probably enjoy it, but I, I hate, you know, kind of using social media to promote myself or even not so much the players. Like obviously I want to promote the players, but you know, that's not their DNA. Always these hockey players, like they're not, you know, they don't have huge social media accounts like other sports. So they're not promoting their own highlights and everything else, but yeah, it is my job to get a message out there. And, and sometimes it's, it, you know, it is like, cause I do tweet a lot about my guys and it's, it's, it's good things. It's normally not much deeper than, you know, scoring a goal and, and their stats and, and, and a few other things, but, but uh, yeah, most of the guys, um, you know, I think they, 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 they obviously, they know someone's got to be pushing them behind their back. They don't, they don't always, they don't always love it. My guys wouldn't like it. If I tweeted something like that against, if I tweeted something on the team or the coach, like I, I generally really haven't done it. I've done it once. Uh, I did it with Jake Gardner in Toronto in the craziest market. And it was front page on the next day. There was a picture of Jake Gardner on chains on the cross. And it was the headlines, free Jake Gardner. Because I had sent a tweet, free Jake Gardner. And and it actually, I don't want to say it worked, but it did. He got called up and he played. But um, it was, uh, it was, it blew up huge. And, uh, you know, I think it, that was the, the play at the time. But I, I wouldn't do that again. Uh, ben, uh you know, you mentioned uh, Big Buff before. Um, not many people quit the NHL and leave six million or so on the table, but this guy did. Um, can you kind of walk everybody through how how that all came about? Uh, him essentially leaving the sport and 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 were you shocked last week when you saw him on the ice at Andrew Ladd's charity thing? <laughs> yes, I was. I was shocked when I saw him on the ice because uh, and and you know everyone's changes over time as they get older. He'll look back. And and have like fond memories of his career. And now I see already he's on the ice much sooner than I thought he'd be. He told me he'd really never skate again unless it's with his kids. But uh, yeah, he left. You said six. I say 14 million <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> like eight and six. And that was the yeah, crazy that's true. decision because his ankle was bothering him from playing 100 games the year before. And Buff is a unique uh, hockey player and the modern day athletes now go, you know, they rarely go a couple of days without skating. Buff ended the season in Winnipeg the year before in a, in a, with an ankle that was bothering him. And it was a terrible ending, I think to the blues. And then he left and he puts his skates, like who knows where he puts them, but they disappear for months. And then his ankle was bothering him at the time. And he, th- I thought that uh, it was going to be fine. He thought it was going to be fine at the start of the season. So he didn't really pay much attention. He came back in the beauty league and started skating and his ankle was bothering him. And so we dealt with the jets on it and they said, well, how was it all summer? And buff said, well, it's fine. Cause he, all he did was basically fish on it and, and train, but he wasn't skating. So he goes into training camp and tells me he can't play. And that was the beginning of what three seasons ago, I believe. And he's scheduled to make $8 million. And I said, okay, let's take care of this. Let's go see the doctor. Let's go talk to the Jets. He goes, no, I, I, I'm done. I don't want to play anymore. I can't play with my ankle like this. And I said, well, Buff, we can fix your ankle. And he just said, no. He met with the GM and said, I'm done. I can't play with my ankle like this. And then so it gets tricky where, okay, you know, if this is a hockey injury, which it certainly is, you know, let's get this fixed. And, you know, you'll, in my, you know, interest too is you'll get paid like this. You got hurt. Like you're still due and you can come back from this and make your $8 million this year, six million. And it was eight the last year, whatever it was, but it was a six and eight million dollar season. I had two of them. And, uh, so anyway, Buff had the surgery rehab and then said, I don't want to play. And he just quit. So he could have fought that. 
and ended up getting paid. But Buff is a unique character and it's not, you know, it's easy to say it's not about the money, but it was about his lifestyle and just saying, I've had enough. I wasn't having fun anymore. I wasn't at the rink skating with the guys. And it was, it was a crazy decision that, that Buff, you know, slept well at night and still does, you know, walking away from that. And he's just a simple guy. He's a hunter, hunt, uh, fisherman and hunts and, 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 you know, spends time, you know, with, 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 with people in small groups and, and he just disappears and he's been nothing but happy. And it's crazy to see him on the ice. I'd love to see him, you know, in front of fans, of course. Buff's about as unique as they come, but I feel like there are a lot of unique guys and I'm curious how, uh, how, how like communitory is the, is, are there GMs reaching out to you, um, to see how a player might fit on their team? Um, if, if they're thinking about trading for him, like how many calls are you getting of GMs just asking what we know what this guy's like on the ice? What kind of player is this? Or is that something that they're they're talking about the, the other GMs with? Yeah, and, and that's a great question. And it's it's actually interesting because you technically you can't talk to a team about another player. It's tampering. Right. And and I do have permission from specifically if we're talking about Besser or Shen, I, 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 I don't have permission. I, I don't want to say because there's all kinds of reports out there whether I have permission to talk to teams or not. But I, 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 I did admit that I'm trying to help Vancouver um, and help my client too find a good spot. But um, yes, and, and that's where I played. And I think it's an advantage to understanding, you know, where a guy fits in a room, where he fits on the ice and the lineup. Um, you know, when it's going well, when it's not going well, I mentioned what's his B game. I mean, does he kill penalties? Like Nick Bukestad's another guy that, that, uh, that you mentioned, Michael, and he, and he could get traded. He was with the wild yeah. and he was close to resigning with the wild, but his role was, was very diminished and, and he didn't play as much as Nick, you know, felt he, he could, and he knew there was more there and he went to Arizona to get an opportunity to, to play a lot more and it's it's been a great season he has 13 goals he i think he, he well, i know he leads their team in, in penalty killing and i think he's probably fourth in ice time uh, among forwards and and um you know he plays in overtime he plays in all situations you know not necessarily a power play guy but now he could get traded he's a 6-6 plus centerman uh, that's right shot and he can skate and he can play you know wing as well so uh, so I, I do, you know, find out from teams what they're looking for, what they need. You know, every, there's and Luke Shen hasn't got traded because there's a lot of other top D out there um, that that will probably get moved, you know, before Luke, you know, gets moved. So there might be six guys in, in looking at, say, Chikrin, and only one team is going to get them. And the other five, you know, will go for maybe the next guy. There's a big D in Columbus, the Russian defenseman. That's that's a top guy out there, too. And there's probably two or three other guys that teams look at and then. If they don't get what they want, they they look at Luke Shen, but they also kick tires with me too, and maybe act like they're more interested they are to have a plan B and C and D in order. So I'm always talking to teams about you know where they are, where they fit in, and then teams like the Wild, Washington, other teams that you think are going to be in it, trying to acquire players to get them over the hump. You know, might lose a couple games, Calgary, and then. You know, maybe they're out, and they're now all of a sudden. You know, instead of trading four players, they're they're trading players. So you know, it's it's always changing. But I'm I always try to have my finger on the pulse to uh, you know to talk to teams and see where it could be a good fit. Most importantly for my guys going forward, you know, this year and, and down the road. Hank, uh, you know, I I am around you a lot. Uh, you know, at Octagon Camps and to Beauty League, so I kind of always see the behind the scenes of of what it's like to be an agent and. 
you know, when you go to sites like Puckpedia and things like that, we, we know you have almost, what, 300, 400 million of long-term contracts out there in the NHL, but we never see the sort of unglamorous side of being an agent, the amount of, you know, clients that you have that you invest a ton of time and money in, fly over to Europe, all that type of stuff. It isn't expensive. You know, we all always say, oh, you got a, you know, $100,000 commission there or 150 there, but there's a lot of money that agents spend to do it. Can you, can you kind of address about just what that is like and, and what it takes to recruit guys, the amount of money that you invest into certain players that maybe never see the light of day? And it's, it's, it's a sports world. It's kind of like your world too. You guys, you're not nine to five, like at night, you can't just turn off your phone and, and start watching Netflix. It's that's when things happen. That's when, you know, players get bought out or there's UFA signings or whatever it is. Same as your jobs. You're always, you know, you know, one buzz on your phone away from something big happening. And then you have to write a story on it and be an expert breaking it down. So it's the same with me. It's it's a nine to five job during the day, but then I have a night shift too, where I'm grinding. And uh, and, and it's not just covering NHL players. Like to get to the NHL, you have to play, you know, mites, peewees, you know, I start watching them in bantams, believe it or not. And I haven't because I've been lucky. I've been picking up, you know, clients that are in the NHL when they're a little older. So I haven't had to recruit as hard, but, but there's like 2008s now, which are what? They're like, you know, 14 years old, turning 15 this year. I have to know the best 2008s, you know, in Minnesota and around the world. And, and those guys have advisors that help navigate them through these paths. So now you're talking navigating through what? Do they play high school? Do they go play junior? You know, do they go up to Canada and play junior? Do they go to prep schools? So I'm dealing with coaches now and, you know, really scouts, you know, college scouts, because scouts, colleges are recruiting these players. And, you know, so I have to deal with everyone from the 2007s to the, you know, 1980 born players. So you have to grind and know, you know, what is happening with each one of the guys you're tracking, which might be 100 kids. You know, even if I have, say, 25 NHL guys, you know, there's another, say, 75 players that I'm tracking uh, daily. And, and, you know, ask my wife how glamour it is, it, <laughs> glamorous it is because it's nonstop going from high school games to junior games to obviously um, the best is the pros with the AHL and the NHL. And then I was over in Sweden, you know, watching players over there. So it's always trying to find, I'm, I'm only as good of an agent as my players are, obviously. Um, I got to grind and get them, you know, the, the market value and better contracts. But um, the, the better players you find, it's like coaching. The, the easier it is to win games or the easier it is to get, to get them contracts. But, you know, there's a lot. It used to be when I played, agents negotiated contracts. Now you have to you have to be a salesman before you're an agent. So I'm 100% on commission. So my paychecks depend on what my players make. And if you're talking to a 2007, you know, or, or eight, you know, they don't get paid until they're, you know, probably they don't, they don't make money where we would actually make money on until they're 25 years old. And, you know, that's a, that's a long time. So in between there, you're doing everything from being a strength coach to a nutritionist, to a counselor, psychologist and then eventually you know you, you, you the guys get in some trouble maybe where you, you're facilitating <laughs> between you know a lawyer a, a state planner a tax planner you're dealing with the wife now so um you know you're you're, <laughs> you're in the first you're dealing with the parents then the player then the wife and then you know hopefully representing the kids which happens i bet you i have you know i don't know five or six or seven of my clients kids that i represent now so you're you're kind of doing a little bit of 
the everything along the way. But it's uh, it's 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 a fun job. I absolutely love it, and I won't wouldn't do anything else. And it does not feel like work to me. But it is. It's constant. Um, you know, a lot of hand holding and a lot of you know free advice along the way. By the way, is that Patrick Alvin that keeps calling you or no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. trying to get a scoop. All Russo's always trying to get a scoop. Ben, given the fact that you have like twenty five jobs that you just listed. Uh, I'm even more grateful that you could carve some time out to come talk to us. Thanks so much for doing this. Enjoy the next 10 days because as you said, it's probably going to be nuts and keep in touch. We'll talk to you later on in the season. Thanks, you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Yep. See you, Hank. Player agent, strength coach, nutritionalist, all the things he listed on his resume. Rapid fire coming up after the break. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, boys, my favorite time of the show and yours. This is where Russo ignores the two words rapid fire and talks and talks and talks, but it's fun anyway. Rapid fire. Uh, Topic number one, Kale McCarr entered concussion protocol for the second time in as many weeks. He suffered his first concussion and then was off for 11 days, comes back uh, and finished the game. Now, we've seen this before, but here's the part that scares me a bit. The Avs said his symptoms were, quote, delayed onset which means he wasn't you know pulled out by the spotter he went through concussion protocol and he was sent back out i'm not a doctor i'm not a concussion expert but that's scary to me that one of the best players in the world was sent out and then it was after the game where they said oh wait a minute we gotta we we gotta yank him and put him on concussion protocol again is that scary to anybody else russo yeah, I mean, but that is often um, how concussions work, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know that, and that is the the I don't want to say loophole in the whole protocol thing is that is that yeah, I mean, you, you could put put in a ten minute quiet room and feel perfectly fine, but the next war- morning you wake up and you feel like crap, and that is that you know I covered Pierre Marc Bouchard here uh, in Minnesota for a long, long time, whose career unfortunately eventually ended because of concussions, but that was always the case with him is that you know and and eventually the Wild really started to err on the side of caution because they knew that even if he was feeling well after a hit. Uh, that who knew how he was going to feel a day or two later. Yeah, they the whole thing's terrifying. I mean, we just, like you mentioned, you're not a doctor, but like I feel like even the doctors were just learning about concussion. Like we are so in the infancy of understanding brain injuries and stuff. It's just like I don't, I feel bad for the doctors that have to figure out what to do, when to let him back. 
Um, I haven't covered him for very long, but Nolan Patrick here in Vegas, um, the last update we got was in the summer. And Kelly McCrimmon said, at this point right now, we're just focused on him doing everyday life stuff. Like hockey's not even on our minds. Like we don't like, and it seems like the more, like every concussion you get, the next one is more likely than, than the last. And it's just, you see a player um, as good as Kale McCarr, you see anyone get two back-to-back concussions that uh, close together. It's absolutely terrifying. So hopefully... Um, like I said, it's, it's tough to know when you can let that player back in the lineup safely, but hopefully they take their time with it. Uh, really terrifying stuff. It's just such a complete mystery. That's the problem. Yeah. You know, when we hear a player has a high ankle sprain, we hear a torn ACL, we hear a separated shoulder. You look at the books, you go, okay, it's four to six weeks. It's this, it's that. We just don't know with concussions. Yep. And, and like I said, like, it's just scary to me. And I'm not trying to imply that anything was done wrong. I'm just saying it's scary that a player could be sent back out. And then like Russo said, you wake up the next day and you feel like garbage. Uh, one more here, guys, I want to bring this up. You know, we've been talking a lot about Connor Bedard and, you know, whether teams are tanking or not. <laughs> the teams that are the bottom five teams in the NHL, have they seen Connor Bedard? Because all they've done over the last couple of weeks is win. So you've got Arizona, San Jose, Chicago, Columbus, Anaheim. Their last 10 games combined 53 out of 100 points. Listen to the teams they beat over the last 10 games. Tampa Bay twice, Toronto twice, Vegas twice, Colorado, Winnipeg, Dallas, Edmonton, Seattle, Minnesota, and Washington. What the hell are these teams doing? (laughs) Just go out there. And even if you're winning, start falling down a little more often. Jesse? Yeah, and Chicago just beat the Golden Knights last night to end their five-game win streak. The, the Golden Knights took out Tampa Bay the game before, and then they go to Chicago and lose. Um, it's yeah. I mean, the GMs can tank all they want. They can trade all the good players. They're competitive Arizona, for a reason, like, right? Yeah, yeah. Arizona was like, get rid of every goalie we have, and then they end up with two awesome goalies somehow. <laughs> Vimelka and Ingram are both playing out of their minds. Like, no matter what you do, the players want to win on the ice. You cannot stop them. And and these underdog players that are maybe not as uh, heralded are are stepping up. They want to win. Yeah, I mean uh, that a hundred percent. That is that's what it comes down to, and you know we've we've seen this throughout the years too. I mean, you always, there's no scarier time to play a team that's out of the playoffs than after the trade deadline because it's like you know um, all the guys that are there know they're there the rest of the year, and they're like they're playing like almost you know worry free, and uh, and that's the time when when those teams usually beat. Yeah, obviously we're before the trade deadline now, but man. Um, when you have a team that doesn't have anything to play for, it's kind of a scary proposition when kids are just playing for jobs and things like that. Um, you know, and, and look, I, you know, tanks are hard to orchestrate. I, I remember Chicago, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember 2005, six season, they were trying to get either, uh, or maybe it was, Oh, uh, what was the, the, um, Malkin draft? That was, it was, was it, uh, the Ovechkin Malkin and Cam Barker? where they brought up like a goalie for the last couple of games and he wound up getting a couple of points. Next thing they know, they wound up getting the third pick and get, yeah, had to take Cam Barker. Yeah. So 2004, so it would have been that 03, 04 season. I'm pretty sure the last couple of games they played a goalie, essentially orchestrated to lose um, and, and wound up getting a point or two and changed the, the math. And next thing you know, they wound up with Cam Barker instead of Malkin. So, um, you know, it, it, sometimes you're better off just letting fate take care of itself, especially against elite teams. Just, just, just lose. Uh, what are we working on this week, boys? Russell, we'll start with you. 
Um, I am. I'm supposed to head to Columbus here in a little bit because we, but we have a blizzard. So right now, I keep on looking at my phone, and so far, my flight is on. So I'll be doing that. Um, really, bunch of cool stories. There is a chance uh, that I see Jesse this upcoming week. Um, I'm working on a story, uh, and again, I don't want to give up too much away, but I'm working on a story that um, might bring me to Vegas and Arizona. Um, so that's that, that's uh, coming up, and then a uh, bunch of different trade deadline uh, stories that I'll be doing from a national component and then i'm heading to uh the gm's meetings as well in the week leading up to the gm's meetings i'll have a story on when i sat in on the nhl situation room and jesse and i are working on uh, jesse and i are working on a really cool story about goalies and and uh and net moorings and things like that that also is targeted to run in that week leading up to the uh, gm's meetings yeah excited to work on the goalie story with michael and plenty of other goalie stories as you might have guessed uh yeah i i uh i got a bunch of stuff in the works right now i went down to florida with with michael and uh and lazarus during the all-star weekend and i basically just got to chat with goalies for three days about their equipment their gear and in the weeks since then i've been talking to a bunch that have come through vegas i'm talking to them on the phone i've just been talking uh really nerdy gear stuff with goalies and i love how much how nerdy they get about it um so yeah i've got a, i've got a fun story that i'm almost done with uh about how much goalies love their pads and the the, the look of them the little details the little changes that they all make um re- really fun story out of all-star weekend and and the, the weeks uh, after that i'm excited to eventually get out there as soon as people re- relax from the shock of Jesse doing goalie stories, they're going to go and read that. Thanks, boys. We'll see you next week. Before we go, I want to let everybody know uh, about some other stuff you can listen to. Charlie Lindgren of the Washington Capitals joined Craig and Sean on the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. So now that you're done listening to us, go listen to that. And when you're done doing that, you know what I'm going to tell you. You got to get your annual subscription to The Athletic for just $2 a month for a year. When you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. If you want to see what we look like when we're doing this, go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the athletic hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown. I want to say a big thanks again to Ben Hankinson for Russo, for Jesse, I'm Pizzo. We'll see you next week. <laughs>